There, there are some just really wise people who have served in the New Hampshire House for a long time. And, you know, they're the, the first ones to tell me to brush it off when, uh, you know, I'm getting attacked by the other side. Or they're also the people that remind me to stay humble when, you know, I had a piece of legislation that uh, flew through both uh, the House and the Senate on bipartisan voice vote. And they're, just, they're there to remind me, you know, one, congratulations, but two, know that it's not always going to be this easy or don't think that you're hot stuff just because you, you know, had a bill passed and have a nice signing ceremony with the governor. Welcome to the New Politics Podcast. I'm Dr. Max Clow, Senior Director of Leadership Development at New Politics, a bipartisan organization dedicated to revitalizing American democracy by recruiting, supporting, and electing servant leaders who put community and country over self. On every episode of this podcast, I'm joined by a servant leader, a military veteran or an alum of a civilian service program like AmeriCorps or Peace Corps, who has chosen to serve again through politics at this critical moment for our country. Together, we explore the challenges of leading with courage, integrity, and empathy in the toxic space of American politics today. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with Matt Wilhelm, who currently serves as a state representative in New Hampshire's 42nd District. Matt is an alumnus of the AmeriCorps program City Year New Hampshire, where he served as a team leader supporting AmeriCorps members working in high-need schools in Manchester. He went on to found ServeNext, an organization that helped to make national service a priority in the first in the nation primary leading up to the 2008 presidential election. Matt also helped to launch Calling All Crews, an organization that engages musicians and their fans in service projects across the nation. Following the 2016 election, Matt felt the call to enter politics, and he ran successfully for a seat in New Hampshire State Senate, where at the age of 37, he's one of the youngest elected officials in the Granite State. I've known Matt since his city year days and have followed his adventures in the service movement closely over the years. He's an alum of both Answering the Call and Foundations, two programs run by the New Politics Leadership Academy, so we've been a part of his journey from service into politics. It was a pleasure to reconnect for this interview, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. Matt Wilhelm, thank you so much for making time to join us here on the New Politics Podcast. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, you bet, Max. Thanks for asking me. Great. So here's where I always like to begin. What's your earliest memory of learning the value of service? Yeah, it's hard to, to pinpoint, you know, the first moment. There wasn't any sort of like big aha moment or anything like that. But, you know, we did a lot of things as a family. I was really lucky, you know, to have parents who both uh, were pretty active in the community. Um, my mom uh, was a volunteer in our schools, and she did a lot of environmental education, focusing on, you know, the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. And my dad um, was really active in our church, and both my parents were. But we did a lot of things as a family. So, you know, we would spend the majority of our weekends together, my folks, me, my sister. And a lot of times that meant, you know, rolling up our sleeves and, you know, helping out whether it was in our neighborhood or, um, you know, something related to school or church. But that was just part of kind of the expectation growing up in our, in our household. And I, I, I was probably kind of reluctant at, at the time and, and, you know, was frustrated sometimes that that's how it was, but feel really, um, 
really grateful looking back. So it's just kind of part of the air you all breathed in your family growing up. So I'm sure that relates yeah. to my next question, but can you tell me why you ended up joining City Year? Yeah, so when I was 16, I uh, was a counselor in training up at our church camp, Camp Calumet, on Lake Ossipee. And I was led by one of our two co-leaders. His name was John Hopkins. And John, uh, you know, was only a few years older than me, but given that near-peer relationship, he was just, you know, we looked up to him. Our, our entire group did, you know, listened to cool music. You know, he was in college or just finished college. Um, and he had also just finished City Year, uh, you know, somewhere in that, that college uh, spectrum there, those, those college years. And John walked around camp um, with a backpack that had a City Year patch on it. And I remember thinking, you know, he, he talked a little bit about his city year experience, but I just remember thinking if city year had anything to do with, uh, you know, making John the, the guy he was and the leader he was, then, you know, I was, I was interested. And I, I was somebody who, I went to a college preparatory high school, but really didn't feel ready to go off to college. And I told my parents that I wanted to do, you know, a gap year or a service year. And my parents were you know, I think they were a little nervous that if I didn't go straight to college that, you know, I wouldn't go to college at all. So they said, you can do a service year, but you've got to wait until you're, you're done with your college degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up doing city years straight out of college when I was just trying to figure out, you know, what was next at a college degree, but, you know, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And then ends up being, really the best careers, the first, first career decision I made and the, and the very best one. Well, say more about that. What was so powerful about it? Well, I like to talk that, you know, when people say, Oh, what city you're all about? Like what's, you know, why, why do you recommend it to, you know, 17 to 24 year olds? I, I, I loved city year because it was kind of a leadership laboratory. Like we talked about a lot about leadership theory through high school and college, but, and even at summer camp, you know, there's sort of a chance to, you know, lead your peers and lead, uh, you know, groups of young people who are up at camp for the summer. But I, there was something really cool about being a part of, uh, you know, young people who wanted to change the world, who wanted to make their neighborhoods better, who wanted to improve their schools uh, and this kind of like trial by fire. Um, you know, I was a, I was a team leader in my first year and usually, you know, it's a lot of second year core right. members who, who mm-hmm. lead teams, but it, it was, it was real. I felt like I was just getting thrown into it and, you know, I had a general sense of the values of the organization and, you know, the vision for what, we were supposed to accomplish, but it, I was learning a lot on my feet really quickly and also, you know, trying to lead my, my peers at the same time. So it was, a, it was a lot to take on, but it was really, you know, a lot of challenges that go with that. Um, but also found it really rewarding and felt like I, you know, I kind of found my voice uh, through leading a team. 
And is there a story or a moment from that city year experience that kind of represents the power it had to shape your values? Yeah. I, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to, to pick one moment, but I do, I do remember that there was something uh, that was really awesome, but also really hard about um, serving on a diverse team with people from all different backgrounds and different walks of life. And I was, I was viewing all of this from the standpoint of, you know, being a, a lifelong granite stater uh, who, you know, didn't go very far to, to participate in city or while a lot of my teammates had come from other parts of the country, you know, they, they came from very, very different backgrounds than I did. And I remember we, we traveled by van because we were more of a rural site. So uh, we were based at the Timberland Company's corporate headquarters in Stratum. And we would board into a, uh, a 15 passenger van. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, talking with and uh, getting to know and learning from, from that group. I, I just remembered, <laughs> I, can, I can think of that route that we took it was a 45 minute drive from stratum to summersworth uh, where the school was where we were serving and um there's some really fun moments and there were some really um some really challenging moments you know i wouldn't i wouldn't call them pull out like blowout fights but definitely you know we had to seek to understand one another you know and, and find common ground and remember that we're literally on the same team together, um, you know, trying to figure out how to um, meet our mission, which, you know, for us was, you know, helping to keep some kids, uh, you know, who had been targeted by their teachers and guidance counselors as needing some additional support um, and keeping those young people excited about coming to school and, uh, you know, behaving themselves and, you know, applying themselves academically. And 45 minute ride each way. That's a lot of time to get into some uh, meaningful conversations. Powerful. So I I have to ask you, Matt, about calling all crows. I I don't know anybody else who has found a way to blend their love of service and their love of music quite in this way. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that was and kind of what, what, what you were doing with that? Yeah. I, you know, feel really lucky in, in college had the opportunity to intern for one of my favorite bands uh, called Dispatch. And Dispatch was based out of Boston, three guys he met at Middlebury College. Uh, one of them, his name is Chad, uh, Chad Stokes Ermston. And Chad and I had uh, struck up, you know, a, a friendship. We'd see each other quite a bit. You know, I was a big fan of this band. So, um, you know, I, I remember I remember being at my very first uh, dispatch concert in Somerville, Masses at the Somerville Theater, and remember the energy of you know this independent band who wasn't signed by a by a major record label uh, that had built this grassroots following where th- the people who were in the room you know it was a sold out show. This is the fall of two thousand everybody knew every word to every song and 
there was something remarkable about that. I remember standing at the top of the theater uh, in the very back row of the balcony. And, and for whatever reason, I, I can't, really can't explain it. I just remember thinking it would be amazing. Like the, the power that these people on stage right now, you know, Brad, Chad, and Pete, the power that they have uh, because they're holding this audience captive, they, they could tell everybody to uh, do anything and they would, they would go do it. And I remember thinking, how cool would it be if, you know, they asked their, their fans to join them in making the world a better place in some way. And, and, and I know that's like a really abstract thing, like making the world a better place. And I don't think in that moment, I necessarily knew what that meant, but over time had gotten to know uh, Chad and his then girlfriend, Sybil Gallagher, who's also a city or alum. And I don't think I knew that uh, until much further into, you know, getting to know the two of them, that she was also an AmeriCorps alum. Um, but we had done, done a little bit of work while I was at City Gear, um, engaging musicians and fans in hands-on uh, pre-show community service projects. So, you know, we might do a beach cleanup at Hampton Beach before the string cheese incident, for example, did mm-hmm. a two-night stand at, uh, at the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom. And we recruited fans on Friday night to join us at the beach at one o'clock on Saturday um, to pick up the beach. And so we partnered with the Blue Ocean Society, a local nonprofit, uh, to get us all the supplies and the training. And a group of 30 of us, you know, picked up the beach. And then the concert later that night on Saturday night became kind of a celebration of uh, the service that we did together. And, you know, you'd see people in the crowd, not, not necessarily that all 30 of us were hanging out the whole time, but you know, there was this camaraderie because we all had this kind of deeper connection with one another because of the work that we were, uh, we were doing together earlier in the day. So later, later that during city year, um, we went on tour with the band Guster, uh, which was doing a lot of really cool nonprofit work and, uh, Chad from dispatch and his new band state radio. Um, they were opening the show at King state college. And it was actually on Global Youth Service Day. So we had done a service project with Guster earlier in the day. Hadn't even thought to invite Chad and, uh, you know, his girlfriend, Sybil, who's also their tour manager. Hadn't, hadn't thought to invite them uh, to serve. But I remember bumping into them backstage and Sybil got really mad at me for not inviting them along. Right. And uh, a year later, fast forward a year later, and Chad and Sybil want to start a foundation. Um, which was calling all crows named after uh, one of Chad's songs uh, that he performed with state radio. And, you know, it was this kind of pretty broad mission, which was to, you know, figure out how to engage their fans in making the world a better place, which was kind of coming full circle. Um, And so we did a lot of service, hands-on service, pre-show service projects. We did some activism, some protests, some letter writing. but for the first few years, we were doing pre-show service projects before every show on state radio's tour all across the country and, uh, you know, feel really lucky to have been able to bring those two passions together and help, you know, one of my favorite musicians um, put kind of a mutual uh, vision, kind of bring it to life. 
Uh, we did that for for 10 years. I'm, I'm on the board now, um, but served as the, the founding program director and uh, you know, some, some of my best friends all across the country are folks that I met uh, through doing service with state radio and with Colin All Crows and, and later dispatch when they got back together in 2011. Well, love it. It's such a joyous way to, to combine service and the arts and music and just uh, loved hearing about it while you were doing it. And it's uh, such a great idea. But so you've, you know, years in City Year and AmeriCorps and then this fascinating kind of creative way to combine your love of service and, and music. Tell me about the decision to get into politics. How did that happen? Yeah, you know, I had been involved in the thought of that as, as service. You know, I attended a, you know, community service orientation program when I started college, you know, brought together a bunch of incoming freshmen and, you know, we, we volunteered at different local nonprofits as a way to get to know the community a little bit and build a relationship with other incoming students. And I got involved in student government and, you know, had a great experience with that, but I don't know that I ever thought of that as public service for whatever reason. But after, after City Year, um, between City Year and Calling All Crows, uh, did some organizing for an organization called Serve Next, which was focused on uh, building grassroots support to expand national service, expanding AmeriCorps and senior corps programs. And, you know, we did that across party lines. It was, you know, we, we recruited volunteers, many of whom had served with an AmeriCorps program. Um, others who, you know, experienced the impact, thought firsthand or were, were champions of, of national service. And we, we put questions in front of candidates. We, we asked uh, you know, we're pretty aggressive in trying to get our, our questions asked during the Q&A period at these town hall meetings and house parties and asked what the candidates would do to expand AmeriCorps. And we, you know, people like John McCain and Mike Huckabee uh, on the Republican side and, and candidates like, like um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. both U.S. senators at the time. Uh, we had this pledge that we were circulating, trying to get them to, you know, put pen to paper and say, you know, I'll definitely, uh, I pledge to expand AmeriCorps by 100,000 members if I get elected president. And it was, it was really, you know, the unique thing here in New Hampshire to host the first in the nation presidential primary. Sure. And I think I, mm-hmm. I started to understand the, yeah, the, the, the gravity of it and the, and the opportunity and the power that we have is, voters who get a lot of face time with these candidates up close and personal that, you know, help shape the debate uh, moving forward. So, you know, got to know some folks here just sort of in the political world on both sides of the aisle. And I always thought that, you know, as a fourth grader um, in New Hampshire, all fourth graders go to the state capitol and up in Concord and we tour. And I remember when I was in fourth grade, the house was in session the day that we we visited. And I remember seeing a lot of people with gray hair, mostly men. Um, New Hampshire is pretty unique in that it has uh, the, the oldest median age of any state legislature in the country. Uh, it's at 63 years old right now, which is down from previous years. Wow. Uh, and, and we also have 400 state reps. There were the third... Uh, 
largest democracy uh, or representative democracy in in the the English speaking world. And you know, just there's a lot of representation. There's kind of a joke that you know, on every street, there's a state rep. Uh, you know, one of your neighbors mm-hmm. on your block is the state rep, and it's not quite that extreme, but you know, there are a lot of people who hold public office in the state. And I remember just thinking one day, you know, I'll be retired and I'll serve as a state rep. <laughs> and after the 2016 election, I said, you know, maybe yeah, I was pretty pretty frustrated and and wanted things to be different and and you know started talking with some friends and they said well why don't you run and started you know kind of thinking about what that would look like to do it as a 30 something rather than as a you know 60 something and to my well and you know and it was also right as new politics was getting started and so you know, there was an opportunity to participate in answering the call led by you, Max. Uh, mm-hmm. My session I had the, the godfather of, of answering the call uh, actually facilitate our session, which I feel really lucky. And you and I, Max, we, we go back we go to back. the city of days yep. too. So it was, I, I was really excited to participate and, you know, use it as an opportunity. This is, the, I think, the fall of 2017. Right. Um, as, a, as an opportunity to really just get clear on what my values were and, um, think about, you know, is this really the step that I want to take and, and run in the 2018 uh, midterms? And, and I'm really glad that I did. I'm glad that, you know, I had that opportunity and, and made that space for, to kind of dig deep and, and think about what I wanted to accomplish and why I was, why I was feeling called to serve in this way. It's great. It's great to hear. You know, it's a, the hope of the program, and you are definitely an embodiment of uh, giving some people a chance to just get clear within themselves. Um, so you step into politics after just years of deep involvement in the service world and AmeriCorps. And what was it like um, moving into politics as somebody with that kind of service background? Well, I mean, when pe- people say you know, why are you, why are you interested in running? I found it was really helpful to have served my community um, before, right? And to, to just be clear about why, what was, what was motivating me to run, you know, that, that this is a way that I could be useful, that I could be helpful to my neighbors. I, you know, like a lot of us, we've seen our politics become really, vitriolic and really divisive in the last decade or so. And, you know, I knew that there was, given my background, given, you know, having, having served on a diverse team with people from different backgrounds and different, you know, political viewpoints and different, you know, philosophies on, on the world, but sort of united in our, uh, you know, the common purpose and our mission to, you know, help these kids in the school that we were placed at for the year. I felt like there was something that I could take away from that uh, and bring with me into politics. But politics is, it's different, you know, it's a different type of service, the national service, it's a different type of service, the military service. Um, and it has kind of a bad name and rightfully so at times. I think it's hard to, it's hard to navigate. I mean, it's easy to get kind of thrown off and, um, sort of lost in the kind of political wilderness, so to speak, if you're not, you know, if you don't have that kind of rudder and, and 
really understand why you why you want to be there. And you know, again, I feel I feel lucky to have taken some time before I got in there to get clear about some of those things. You know, and just just remember what what my path was to get there. You know, whether it was my time at church camp or it was my time at national service or it was you know an elected elected office in student government. You know, those are all experiences that help to shape who I am as a as a leader and you know a, a public servant. Yeah. So it's a great segue into my next question, which is, you know, a lot of folks in our pipeline, a lot of folks who are, you know, servant leaders and thinking about politics, they wonder if they if it's possible to step into the arena and maintain their integrity. And so do you feel like you've been able to stay true to yourself as you walk this path? And what would you say to any listeners out there who are concerned about that? Yeah, I mean, integrity, I was actually looking back at my uh, New Politics Leadership Academy answering the call, you know, packet and my worksheets that, that I had, you know, worked on while I was doing ATC. And integrity was one of the values that I identified as being really really important to me, in part because I've been around leaders who can be really honest and vulnerable and admit when they make mistakes. Um, and I've also been around leaders who are not. And there's a real difference um, in how everybody else interacts with that person. And so, you know, it's definitely a shift to you know, put my name on the ballot and campaign and, you know, be the target sometimes of, uh, uh, you know, some incoming, some, some people who disagreed with me, some people who, you know, would criticize what I was doing or how I was doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, like that integrity piece, it's just hard to lead when you don't have the trust of the people that you're leading. I think it's fine to disagree with, you know, someone in leadership. Um, and it's fine, you know, it's fine to be called out, uh, you know, for a vote that I took that someone else might not agree with. I totally get that. Um, but I don't ever want to be in a position where they, they you know, someone questions my integrity or they, they question, you know, my motives or anything like that. So, um, you know, feel, feel uh, again, really sort of grateful for being able to take that time and, and think about those kind of things. And it's, and it's hard in the moment because, you know, in New Hampshire, another thing that makes us unique at the state house is uh, all 400 reps, anybody can introduce legislation and every bill gets a public hearing and every, uh, Bill gets a committee vote, and then regardless of whether it's voted up or down in committee, we'll go to the full floor uh, of the House. And so, you know, wow. we take upwards of 600, 700 votes every yeah. single year on a number of pieces of legislation, where that, that is, it just isn't the case in a lot of other state houses. Um, and so we're, you know, there's a lot that's thrown at us. And I think because of you know, the power is somewhat diluted when you've got 400 people. You know, there mm -hmm. really needs to be consensus on things uh, in order to move them forward. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, another advantage to the, the way New Hampshire does it, and there are both good things and bad things. Um, but one of the good things is, you know, 
money doesn't corrupt folks so much in the New Hampshire House. It's, uh, you know, it'd be hard to buy off, you know, hundreds and hundreds of votes that you would need to, to pass a bill. So, you know, I think that's, uh, that's an advantage to our citizen legislature and, you know, helps us maintain our integrity as legislators. That's interesting. And I can't resist asking, because another thing a lot of folks in our pipeline wonder about is, you know, how do you deal with the attack ads? How do you deal with the hits on the campaign trail? Sounds like you got a little bit of that coming at you. How do you kind of stay resilient in the face of that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be, I'm really glad that I've had, you know, some moments when I've gotten knocked down uh, earlier in my life, because if this was the first time that, you know, I had people coming at me, I'd be... Uh, or, or the you know first time where things don't necessarily go my way all the time. You know, life's got plenty of ups and downs, and I've had my fair share of both. Um, you know, I think you know a lot of this is about relationships. It's about uh, mentorship, and I've been on both sides of um, you know some really great mentor-mentee relationships. Um, there, there's some just really wise people who have served in the New Hampshire House for a long time, and you know they're the the first ones to tell me to you know brush it off when uh, you know I'm getting attacked by the other side. Or they're also the people that remind me to stay humble when you know I had a piece of legislation that uh, flew through both uh, the House and the Senate on bipartisan voice vote. You know, it was on the consent calendar. Um, and there's, they're there to remind me, you know, one, congratulations, but two, know that it's not always going to be this easy or don't think that you're hot stuff just because you, you know, had a bill passed and have a nice signing ceremony with the governor. Um, there are a lot of ups and downs, great. so many of which you can control, but also a lot that you can't control. Yeah. You know, that's not something that a lot of our folks worry about of what happens if you have all this success and you have to just stay humble. That's great to hear that uh, you have kind of relationships in your life that keep you equal, kind of equal through all of this. That's great. So we're getting close to the end of our time here. And the question I always like to kind of bring things to a close with is our listeners, our servant leaders, they're thinking about getting into politics. What do you, what advice do you have for anybody who is kind of you a few years ago, looking at the arena and wondering if they should get in? Yeah, I, I'd recommend talking to other people in the arena and, you know, ask them the, the questions about what they wish they knew uh, before they ran for the first time. Talk to people who were successful. Talk to the people who, you know, weren't successful. Talk to the people who were really resilient and, uh, you know, ask them what they wish they knew before, you know, the first time that they ran. But I think ultimately, if you, you know, are, are working through answering the call just as an example. And, you know, you really feel called to serve in this unique way. Um, you know, I, I just say, go for it because I, I look back, um, I'm at about the two year mark. So I'm at the end of my first, first two year term in the house. And I was looking back at, uh, you know, all the people that, that, you know, show up at the top of my phone now, you know, and, and this is a mix of people that I'm sort of doing business with, but also leaning on for support. 
and encouragement or to troubleshoot things. And, you know, there are just some really great relationships that, um, you know, I've benefited from over the last two years that I, I didn't even know these people two years ago and feel really lucky. You know, my life feels more full um, as a result of, you know, having gotten into the arena. And I guess that's, that's the question to ask is like, what, what does it look like for you if you are feeling called to serve in this way, but you don't take that risk because it's risky. It's, there are a lot of unknowns, a lot of things you, you don't know how things are going to go. Um, but, you know, win or lose, uh, you know, I just think about all the relationships that I built over the course of the campaign season alone, you know, got to know my neighbors better, got to better understand the challenges that we face and the opportunities, um, you know, that are ahead of us, you know, just really got to know my community better. Um, and again, win or lose, it's just, you know, there's, there's something that's really enriching um, by going through that process and, you know, taking the, taking and the hits as they come and, you know, enjoying the view when you're, you're up high. So, um, nice. you know, I feel really lucky and, and really grateful for, you know, all of that. And, and, you know, just the chance to participate in this at a, you know, at the age of, of 37, which here in New Hampshire is you know, like a spring chicken at yeah. the state house. So, um, feel really lucky and, and excited to, for whatever's ahead. Great. And one more question for you. How do you know you're making a difference? A lot of folks wonder if sure. they get into politics and will it, will it matter? So how do you know you're making a difference? <laughs> well, I'm at the, the spot right now in the campaign season where, you know, I'm getting ready to uh, declare my candidacy for reelection. And, um, you know, I'll need to start putting together my, my campaign materials. And people will say, well, what'd you do in your, your first two years? And without getting super specific on policy, um, you know, I think, I think there's, when I look back at, you know, my sent box in my legislative email, you know, I can see all the different people that I've reached out to, you know, or people that reached out to me that said, I need help with, you know, filing for unemployment. Um, you know, there were some challenges during COVID and you know, people getting the benefits that they, you know, are, are, uh, are due and or people who needed, you know, to, to find out where the nearest food pantries were and which ones were open and which ones weren't. You know, I think there's, you know, legislation aside, policy aside, I think there are opportunities uh, as a community leader to, you know, help people navigate government. And that's that alone, you know, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling good about my, my contributions over time and, you know, continue to, think about ways that, you know, I can leverage the, the title that I have to, to help my, my constituents, my neighbors. Cause it's a, it, it is a privilege. That's exactly what it is. It's great. All right. So final question for you. It's challenging times out there. We're having this conversation during the COVID crisis. Are there any nonprofits that are helping folks in your district that you'd like to lift up at this time? Yeah, I've got one that, it, that isn't COVID related, but is, you know, I, I actually think that COVID has, uh, you know, 
it's shown how some organizations uh, work is so vital and so needed on a regular basis that when uh, they're not able to do what they normally do because of some of the precautions that we're taking, um, you know, it's, it's really felt. And, and the organization I'm thinking of is, is Girls at Work, which is a really, it's such a rad organization. We're so lucky to have them here in Manchester. Um, they teach girls, middle school age girls, uh, how to use power tools. And they're empowered through their time in the workshop uh, to be, you know, leaders on a construction site, but also uh, leaders in their lives. And so it's a 21st century after school program. Uh, so serves girls that are, you know, going to our, our public schools. And they're, they're actually, the, the COVID pandemic has happened right in the middle of their move uh, to their, their new headquarters where they've got a, uh, a workshop set up. And it's in the FIRST Robotics uh, building, which is, we also have the, the global headquarters for FIRST Robotics, which is founded by Dean Kamen, an inventor in the Manchester Milliard. Um, they've welcomed girls at work into their headquarters because they see a pipeline uh, for a lot of those girls to get into robotics and STEM nice. fields. So uh, girls at work, they're awesome. Look them up online. Um, but again, you know, we're just, Manchester is a really cool spot. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people working hard to pull people together and, you know, meet needs during this really challenging time. And I'm looking forward to the, the opening of the new workshop so that those girls can get back to work. Great. Well, awesome. Matt, thank you so much for taking time uh, to have this conversation and just for everything you're doing to serve the people of New Hampshire and to kind of advance the service movement. Uh, we appreciate all that you're doing out there. So thanks for being with us. Matt, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. That was fun. This has been the New Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Max Clow. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us for our next episode when we'll meet another servant leader who has chosen to step up and serve through politics. If you want to learn more about New Politics and the candidates we support, please check us out online at newpolitics.org. I'll leave you with this question. How do you feel called to serve at this critical moment for our nation? Thanks for joining, and hope to have you back with us next time.